Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. You are on episode 17. I am Josh Roop, and with me, my co-host... Scott Larson. (laughs) And how are you doing today, Scott? No, no, life's really good. Uh, been been pretty busy. I haven't been able to play much pinball, but I've uh, been trying to go down just uh, uh, for 30 minutes a day or so and just uh, playing around on my machines. Um, nothing really big's going on with me. What about you, Josh? It's It's been busy. We sold the house. We've moved in to what we call the farmhouse with my in-laws. It's, it's off the backside of their property. And I've been able to play pinball here and there a little bit, but... For the most part, I, I've done measuring to make sure I can fit them in there, and I've realized I can make my collection bigger now that we live here. So I'm pretty excited. So, yeah, good luck with that because you're still having to buy a house, and you're still going to have to come up with a big fat check when you go to close the house. So uh, I'd I'd hold off a little bit, maybe just get a Jurassic Park Pro. Maybe, maybe. Well, and may I'll look for some of the the cheaper ones. You know, maybe get some throwbacks or something. Who knows? <laughs> so. Um, there you I go. am kind of, shakers coming your way. Yeah. Well, and I'm kind of to that point. I think everyone gets to this point in their pinball stuff and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm kind of to that point where I'm getting a little bit frustrated because I'll have really good games and then I can't keep the ball up to save my life. And so I'm like, is it just me? Do I need to take a break? Cause I, there's not really much to do at the farmhouse. And so I've been playing a ton of pinball and, and so I don't know if I'm overdoing it now. Because every second I get, I go play that. But either that or the new Switch came out with the new Super Nintendo Online, and I've been playing the crap out of Link to the Past. Love that game. <laughs> but oh, nice. Yeah, I I saw that came up. I haven't uh, haven't really had much time to try it out, but dude, it's so worth it. It's yeah. so good. No, I think what happens sometimes is when you're playing pinball, you 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 go down tangents and where. Uh, this is why I think um, it's not uncommon for people to get a grand champion score when they first get it within the first uh, week. And then for the next six months, their scores don't even come close to it. Uh, because instead of just playing to play, you start going down rabbit holes and saying, oh, well, I want to go down this uh, goal objective on the game or this goal objective. And it's probably not that lucrative scoring wise but when you first get a game all you care about is getting multi-ball and just trying to um, hit as many targets as you possibly can before you drain so that's uh, that's not uncommon well and I think too I'm trying to also work on my pinball skills I'm trying to do drop catches and and loop passes and all that stuff and so I think when you when you're able to do a skill it feels very satisfying but when you fail at that skill and you drain out a ball, you're like, gosh, dang it. I got to start this all over again. I, I've been working on live catching um, and uh, and one-handed saves as opposed to slap save, just uh, trying to, to nick the ball over to the other side. So I've been trying to do a lot more of that. And yeah, it, it does change how you play games. Yep. Um, it's a little non-intuitive just because of how it works out, but... It's still a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. So I'm pretty stoked. Uh, I got Attack from Mars in and started playing the crap out of that. Uh, I've, I've owned that for over a year now. I got it for my birthday last year, the limited edition. And as soon as I got it into the farmhouse, I put my name up on the high score twice within like the first three plays. And so I was like, sweet, I'm going to be better here. <laughs> and then I haven't done jack squat. <laughs> so 
Yeah. Well, it's the same. It's the same philosophy. It's uh, it's just getting in and playing for pure enjoyment. But yep. it, it seems like you get to that point and then you go down. But at the same time, after you get to a point where you're doing strategies and saying, this is how I maximize the points. And you look at the elite players when they approach a game, they always have a strategy. Uh, when Eric Stone was out here, um, uh, an elite player, and uh, he, they were giving advice. He said, the the most important thing is when you go up to a machine, make sure you have a plan. Like, what are you planning on doing? Um, and uh, if you look at the elite players when they're playing ACDC, uh, they can they can triple your score with five shots, even mm-hmm. though in, in you could be playing for 10 minutes. Yeah. Just because they know how the multipliers work and how things go. So, Well, my question to you is, I haven't got up to Salt Lake yet. I've been dying to do Jurassic Park. When we were up there two weeks ago, I had my son with me, but the family-friendly arcade had not got theirs in yet, and I am not taking my son to a brewery. Well, because first Utah doesn't allow that. (laughs) But I haven't got my hands on a a Jurassic Park Pro or Premium yet. Have you got to play one yet? No, no, I I haven't. uh, Well, and the pros are are the only ones that are out right now, unless you have a limited edition. But... um, yeah, I, I haven't been able to uh, to get up there either. It's been it's been busy for me. Uh, I I'm still very interested in getting one, and it will be. Uh, I, I'm looking at which games I want to move along, so I can make room for it. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't been able to get my hands physically on it yet. But still, I have yet to hear a negative thing about it. Um, aside from your usual. Hey, this thing snapped off, or this didn't work uh, when I got it from Stern, or you know, or, or any manufacturer really. Yeah. But I've never heard anyone say, "Yeah, the gameplay's stale," or "This gets old," or um, "I really don't like this shot." I've never heard anybody say anything like that, which is really rare in pinball nowadays. It seems that everybody wants to, everybody wants to tear down a machine, especially on pin side when it certainly comes out, and I haven't heard any of that. So I, I'm still looking forward to getting a premium Jurassic Park. Uh, I haven't heard anybody complain about the gameplay or the rules or the shots. Um, there are your little uh, nuts and bolts of things of, hey, this lock didn't work or you know this thing was, was banged up. But that's what you're going to get with any sort of delivery. But I've been pretty impressed with how consistent the praise has been for the game. Uh, perhaps it's a combination of uh, having... Uh, an elite level uh, player like Keith designing it. And so it flows well for everybody. Uh, that's one option too. Keith is the new kid on the block and he's been able to bring something that previously has not been in pinball. And so maybe we're still in the honeymoon stage. Either way, it's an excellent game and I, I can't wait to get it downstairs. Well, and I agree with you there. I think I think the level of pinball is definitely, the bar of pinball is being raised um, between Scott Denisi's TNA, um, Eric Meniere's Pirates of the Caribbean, and now Keith Owen with Iron Maiden and with Jurassic Park, I think the game's changing. We're seeing a whole different kind of game, and it's 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 a great time to be in pinball right now. I like you said, no one's complaining about Jurassic Park. We still have Eric Meniere's game, which cross your fingers. October, November is my guess. We don't have any confirmation, nothing like that. Um, and then 
from my estimation, we'll hear about Scott Denise's haunted house party by the end of the year, just because of Charlie and them saying that they'll be wrapping up Alice Cooper's in December and they're going to have to have another game on the line then, you know? Yeah, they're going to have to. And if, uh, if spooky can get to a game a year and really if Jersey Jack can get to a game a year, I know they say they want to have two games a year, but let's start first things first. If they can get a game a year, that will be a big step forward into the predictability of the manufacturing process from all the manufacturers. So I, I'm really, I like this new direction. It certainly is opening avenues. Uh, the great part about having some of these legacy designers is they're legacy designers for a reason because they're producing some excellent uh, play fields. The challenge is if you don't bring in new blood, then you typically recycle similar feels and that's not not a bad thing but it does feel familiar yep uh it's the same in the music industry everyone starts making the same sort of music until a band that comes along and everyone says whoa what are they doing and then they incorporate that into it so uh, it, it'll be it's really an exciting time the last 10 years have been a wild ride for pinball it really has it, i mean even just the last five have been such a step up. It's it's crazy. I keep thinking, you know, we, we claim, some people complain about, you know, Black Knight wasn't uh, their cup of tea, or or uh, Monsters is is just not up to par. But I'm thinking about it. I'm like, dude, let's let's look ten years back. Let's look to 2009. You had. You want to go back to Big Bug Hunter? Even then, yeah. I mean, like Wheel of, Wheel of Fortune. Monopoly. Well, really, 2000 to 2010, we had what? Lord of the Rings and Tron. We had two hits in a so decade Simpsons, of time. Okay. Well, you have Lord of the Rings. You have Simpsons. Okay. You have Spider-Man. Okay, yeah. And was it Spider-Man 2010? No. Okay. No. And then you have the uh, on the Stern Pirates of the Caribbean. Those are the four from that entire decade that really stand out. Well, and I wouldn't even consider like Pirates of the Caribbean from Stern is good, but I wouldn't consider a smash hit. Um, I could be entirely wrong, though. Uh, that's just from my personal. Mm, I wouldn't say it's a smash hit, but I think it's a solid game. It's I, solid I game. like mine, and that and um, that uh, ship mechanism is still uh, quite intuitive, uh, in um, ingenious. I mm-hmm. guess uh, is the word I'm looking for. Um, it's a very solid game in a doldrums of 10 years yes. when it, I mean, that was when um uh oh, what's that documentary that's horrible um special one lit uh, the one that, yeah special one lit when it when it makes everyone look like they're uh, socially awkward and uh yeah that it just felt like yeah pinball is dead uh so in that 10 years you had four games that really stand out that seems shocking to me i agree and in the last, I, I you I guarantee you could at least have twelve to fifteen games that I would love having. Yeah. So Spider Man came out in two thousand seven. Gotcha. But I mean, let's look at the last five yeah, years. Two thousand six, two thousand seven. The last yeah. turd, the universally pra- like not praise, sorry, the universally agreed upon turd is WWE. And I remember, yeah. I remember that one coming out when I first got into the hobby because I thought, who makes the WWE machine? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where 
you have to, um, this is the challenge with pinballs when it's growing, there are more audiences they want to go into and they want to bring new money into pinball. Yep. So if you keep releasing the same things, guess what? You're going to be recycling among the same collectors. But if you try different things and not everything's going to be a success, uh, that certainly was not a success, but I appreciate that they were trying to find a different avenue and a different market. Um, and really, they uh, they had a designer who was willing to uh, to try those. Um, uh, I guess those things, you know, Mustang, WWE, the ones that didn't have that mass appeal. Uh, however, I I think that even since then they've been able to upgrade significantly, and they have been able to have pretty significant hits. Um, at least solid games. You may not get a smash hit every time, but you get you can get a solid game. Yeah. So uh, after WWE, I'd probably take about any of those games in a home collection. I, I agree. Even with people complaining about Ghostbusters, I still think the Pro is a good game. I mean, yeah, the, the code needs to be worked on, but if that's really your weakest point, the nice part about code is it can always be fixed. It just depends if they go back and fix it. So... Yeah, I, I don't really see them doing much with uh, with Ghost. I, I think they'll try to make it a passable game because the theme really did sell so much. I think there are other issues with it, the air balls, the uh, the linearity of the rule set, which, yeah, you said you can fix. The, the flipper gap is still just a challenge. Um, the one thing that I, I feel you don't really... Uh, people have universally said they don't like is adjusting that lower third of the play field. They, they're used to the slingshots where they are and they're used to the flippers where they are. Um, you can have different uh, in lanes and out lanes, but as long as that geometry is similar, then people are going to at least connect with the machine easier. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of the news. The, it's, it's all kind of the same old, same old, but um, I feel like I got a couple different perspectives than what people have been talking about. Uh, the first one I want to talk about, we've talked about this a couple times now, but Dutch pinball, it sounds like people are finally getting, oh, uh, big Lebowski's and here's, here's my thought. Cause we've talked about this, not just us, every podcast for the last two years, there's always some kind of update. Dutch is doing this. Dutch is doing that. Here's my perspective on all this. The power of a licensed theme is worth its weight in gold. If this big Lebowski was not big Lebowski. I think Dutch was dead and gone. Oh yeah. Way, way, way ago. And the reason I say this, I, I love that people are trying new things. I love there's new pinball companies. Um, I respect what like team pinballs doing and, uh, what Suncoast pinballs doing, but they've already limited their games to a certain amount of numbers to help drive the sell of their pinball machines. And so, They've all done them under a hundred, but look at big, big Lebowski people. It, the company has proven themselves in my opinion that they're not trustworthy. I mean, look at the, the first time backers still haven't gotten their games and the games that originally came out, weren't they 6,500 when they first came out and now 12, yeah, five no, twice. Yeah. Yeah. They're 12, five and people are lining up in droves to play this game. And I guess it comes down to one, two things, power of license and, the playability of the game. The design's good. I've never personally played it myself. I've watched some videos on it. But that's what's crazy to me is this company that should be gone, we shouldn't even be talking about now. They should be a skit B 
you know, with the whole well, predator fiasco. Well, Skip B actually didn't even have the license. So true, um, true. Yeah, with Dutch pinball, you're right. It it is the power and the um, especially a niche theme like the Big Lebowski. Uh, now, I will say, in its defense, Joe Lemire from Head to Head, he has said, "Look, it's a great game," and Joe's a, an excellent player, and so he would know if a game is clunky or or not. And so, the fact that it, it actually still has um, a good layout. Now the layout's five years old now. And so I don't know how well it's aged. I, that helps it as well. It's not a, uh, it's not a magic girl that has a beautiful theme, even a, a licensed theme, but it doesn't play well. Uh, yes, it does. The challenge, for, uh, is I don't know how you would in good conscience buy something that, I don't believe this is a long-term pinball company and reliability is a big deal for me and whether or not I can get parts or get other things to maintain my machines, that would make me wary of it. Uh, I've said it before that the only way that they probably could go forward with their company is this model, although it is distasteful that they're selling games that are purchased otherwise uh, by other people but the bottom line is they didn't have any money and so they needed to find some model to actually inject revenue back into it um, but yes it is all about the license uh, and that's really where when you had Williams versus uh, Dade East back in the day that's where um, where Williams lo uh, Williams um, lost because Dade East saw the writing on the wall and said look if we get a prepackaged license that comes with its own pre-marketability, then we'll be able to sell more machines. If you look at the estimated budgets on machines, the reason why when they say the budget on a, uh, sorry, not a machine, if you look at the budget on a movie and they say, I'll throw out some basic figures, if they say it, this movie cost $100 million to make, they actually need to make 200 million back because they have spent another 100 million dollars to market that movie yep. and if you get a license you buy into that marketing machine that other things have done and so you're buying that instant connectivity with a product you it's really hard to get that uh with a with an original theme you can do it obviously with uh with total nuclear annihilation uh scott was able to sell that theme and that retro theme and it worked really well but that's an outlier it really is well and here's what my thoughts have been also when you speak of scott denisi with total nuclear annihilation um he got hype on that because he took it around as the whitewood before he was even planning on producing it and people loved it and played the crap out of it and said, you've got to make this into a production machine. And so that's where I think that's, that's the only place in my opinion that you could get around not having a license is if you have a super killer uh, playing game, but then you have to get it out to the masses and then you're still putting in legwork cause you got to take it to conventions. You got to make sure it's always working. Um, Scott Denise, just did it as a, as a love of the, the hobby and showing off what the P3 could do. 
and it, it, it evolved. You know what I'm saying? Well, he said he wanted a game that he could play with his buddies. That's what he wanted, yeah. because a lot of these games, they're really not the same type of game that you have people over. I, I do this when I go to other people's houses, and they're playing a game, and they have a really long ball time. Hey, if they have 12 machines, I'm going to wander over and play a different game. I, I, yeah. I'm not going to sit there and watch them play Lord of the Rings for 30 minutes. Uh, and so that catered to it. Also, don't forget that Scott designed an amazing soundtrack to that and yeah, an amazing light show. And so don't undermine, really yeah, don't undermine the power of the soundtrack and the light show integration. Uh, it reminds me. So um, they had the fan convention here in uh, in Utah last weekend, and I went to Empire Strikes Back, and. It was really it was, it was one. It was a madhouse downtown because there was a, a big um, there was a big religious celebration. There was also a big uh, fan celebration and the symphony. So all these three groups were trying to get downtown at the same time. But we went down and saw Star Wars Empire Strikes Back with the symphony playing the background. It's a really cool concept if anyone uh, has has the chance of doing it uh, because movies are the modern day symphonies. Um, yep. And so if you play the movie and they're playing the soundtrack on the back uh, at the same time simultaneously, it's amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you ever looked at um, footage of Star Wars, like the last scene where they're walking up and there's no sound or no music? I have. It, look, it looks ridiculous. It really does. And if you have, um, if you have Darth Vader there, with the uh, with the actor, I can't remember his name, but it's not James Earl Jones's voice, and so it sounds very B movie esque. But when you okay. add the sound and you add the integration, it really brought people in, and it may it elevated uh, material beyond probably what it was. And really, with what Scott Denisi did by elevating by putting his soundtrack on it probably elevated his machine even more than what it would be if it was just a, a white wood without any sound or lights. I agree. Well, I guess my point being is, is you either do the lake work with a license or you've got to do the lake work another way if you don't go license wise. Right. And, and Scott did a great job with that with, he had the total package and really the only thing he didn't have was artwork. And then the artwork ended up turning out amazing. I love the artwork. I, I can't remember who they got to do it, but it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think, I think it's the same thing with Archer, you know? Yeah. Archer was a theme that people recognize, but they got their hands on it. Cause Keith was taking it around to conventions and like, this is what I want. This right. is what I want playing in a game. And so I think you either take it around to conventions and you, the problem is, is we've, we've gotten into a weird place. Cause like Dutch, and Skip B and John Papaduke has made the pre-order model non-existent in pinball. And so, and everyone doesn't want to show off their project until it's 100% done. They want to unveil and say, hey, this is our new game. We have 10 of them ready. Buy them right now and we're going to produce more. So you can't really be like, okay, we've made this game. We want feedback. Let's take it around to the conventions. Because if you do that, then people are going to start taking pictures and put it on the internet and it's going to be so-and-so is producing the new back to the future or, you know what I'm saying? And so you can't really get outside general public opinions because you got to hide your product. And so 
I think that's where I think that's where the hurdle comes. You either use the license to get you over that hurdle of people don't need to play it before buying it, or you put the legwork in and you take it around the conventions. And you let everyone know, hey, this is what I'm making. Tell me if it's good. Tell me what I need to change. So, yeah, there, there's a few things. Now, I, I will say the the pre-order model is not um, it's not specifically unique to pinball. Uh, these crowdsourcing um, investment uh, ideas. There have been a lot of problems with a lot of Kickstarters. Um, yes. And I, I've been a part of different Kickstarters. Not really too much, but one of them was uh, the coolest. And it's a, the bottom line is it's a cooler that has a blender and a speaker. And it it raised or like over $10 million. And I thought, you know, that sounds like fun. I'll just go ahead and buy one. Well, they ran out of money. And they basically said, hey, we're... <laughs> so... They said, we're selling these new ones on Amazon and that money we're making from that is going to go toward the early backers. Does this sound familiar at all? And yeah. we'll be able to get you your products after we get these other products, or you can pay us, you know, I think it was like 150 bucks and we'll just get it to you. And so I just paid the money. And yeah. so I think it's this internet, it, you know, it's the, it's the GoFundMe stuff. It's the the internet, everybody can contribute a little bit and still have some ties because the internet makes us more interconnected. So uh, the challenge with that is that there's a reason why most companies don't succeed is because, again, you know, manufacturing anything is hard. It's not just pinball. Manufacturing anything is hard. So that's why when you see on Shark Tank or you see any, any of these shows, they, they may have a great idea, but either they can't make it for cheap enough money or there's no market for it. And we've seen, um, we've seen uh, individual people bringing stuff around. I mean, look at the, the Wrath of Olympus game. The Wrath of Olympus game is a great game. Yeah. And it was taken around to so many shows. But I, I don't think that it was really... Uh, practical to manufacture and so it really didn't get the attention that it needed if it was going to be mass produced so I agree. And, and it's a it's a theme that you know okay it's a it's a a general theme about uh, about gods and people understand them it's you know it's a little bit like what american pinball is going after but it still wasn't able to manufacture it the way that something like Archer was, uh, you know, Keith was able to look at that and say, well, this is something that we can manufacture or even Scott Denise's game. Now also Scott Denise's game with uh, total nuclear annihilation. Um, that also, that's a success at 550. I yes, guarantee really that is. Stern wouldn't look at that as a success. Stern would look at that as a, like for Stern's business model, 550 would be a complete disaster. Because well, if, the Stern's business model is they're going to produce 500 limited editions, probably 500 premiums or so, and then uh, 1,000 to 1,500 pros. And yeah. that's really what the market's going to sustain. If there's, let's, um, you know, we've estimated 10 to 15,000 machines a year. And if Stern is putting out three cornerstone games and they're capturing the vast majority of it, they're at least covering, you know, uh, you know, seven seven thousand five hundred or eight thousand of those machines, and so really, if you break down the numbers, it's not really a lot of games. 
and 500 would have been uh, you know one one fifth what they needed to sell to have a good game yeah well and the thing with with total nuclear annihilation stern actually did approach scott denisi in buying that if i remember correctly he was on head to head and he said that he had multiple offers on the table and stern was even one of them but if he I, I don't think Stern, it, I, he'd have I, to. I, I don't think it was an offer. I think it was a hey, let's talk. Oh, and so maybe like, that's what it was because he 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 clarified that he's like you know I you know because he knows the guys at Stern too, and yeah. you know he and he said you know we it was a let's talk, but I also think that really for what Scott Denise did, um, Spooky was the best place. But really, yeah. Spooky they went outside their business model because Spooky isn't a horror stuff. And so for them to do uh, Scott Denisi, I mean, really, that's a futuristic sci-fi thing. That really isn't Charlie's thing, but it was a contract game that they could make money on. Yep. Well, and Charlie's even said himself that they're so grateful for the contract games they have yeah. had because it's kept the doors open during the other titles like Jetsons and, and Dominoes and yeah. what have you. So. Well, let's, let's move on to the next topic, uh, clear coat. That seems to be quite in the news lately. I really don't have much to say about this just for the simple fact. Um, I feel like if you want to hear about a four hour discussion, listen to the last two episodes of this week in pinball. I think yeah. Dennis and Zach covered it very well. And then the guys from poor man's pinball podcast. Hey guys. <laughs> hey Ian. Uh, they did really well as as well because if I remember correctly, Ian is the one in the clear coding industry right now. And so he gave his full opinion. My opinion right now of the whole clear coat situation, if something's going to be breaking the pinball machine, the very last thing I want to be is the play field because that's the thing that consumes the most time and money in my opinion. So whatever it takes, figure out the play field issues. I would rather anything else in the game break like i would even take a broken circuit board over a broken play field but not by much because these circuit boards are freaking ridiculously priced and if you have a good warranty like um i've bought the chicago gaming games and the limited editions come with a two-year warranty but they're even still pretty good to be flexible with you because they know that they're in a home environment a lot of the limited editions and they're not getting a beat on and so that's my biggest concern. Like, I don't care if I have to repair it myself. So just, just don't be at the play field. That's, that's literally the only thing I do not want to fix is the play field. Yeah. We, um, we were talking a little bit back and forth with our uh, friends, at special one lit with uh, Ken and Bill and, uh, and the challenges from, uh, from an engineering standpoint, you have to look at it from, okay, so what has changed? Because, this seems like something that that creeps up every few years, every th- three or four years, where they're having some issues with the play field, and then it seems to go away for a while, and then it comes back. Um, uh, I, I did some research, and I, I asked some people in the industry, and uh, one person did get back, and he said, um, well, I can't really say much about it, however there was a crackdown in the nineties with the EPA over certain chemicals used. And so that leads me to think that um, whatever process was successful in the past, it may have been successful, but probably not really manufacturing friendly or health friendly. And so they have had to try to figure out new processes. And so whether or not the chemicals are no longer available, 
or they're uh, trying to go through because we're still having um, a similar system where you have a, a pitch and bat uh, game under glass with a, a steel ball going around and hitting all these things. So once they once they figure out what the the, the magic uh, lexicon of how they're going to make the play fields, then they can move forward. Um, the challenging thing is I I don't think it's a cost issue because it's more of a the manufacturers trying to figure out the right recipe. Um, it's so hard to actually predict the long-term viability of any sort of process because by the time you have made it and sent it out a year later you may get some issues and they don't and then you're trying to fix it on the fly too so they're very cautious to implement something into a, a mass production thing um so anyway uh we did uh reach uh, we we reached out to uh, chris at high-end pinballs and he said that he was uh, he was willing to come on the show, so I'd be interested to hear what his take is, because uh, if you haven't checked out his thread and Pinside, it's one of the best threads. And if you have any inkling on restoring a game, it is uh, 100% the best thread because he goes through, and uh, all of his games are immaculate at the end. I'd be interested to find out what his thoughts are because I know he still clear coats games, yeah. so. I, I want to find out, well, what's different about his coding process versus something that's uh, mass production? Like, is his process even scalable? Because maybe it's not, and that's why uh, the manufacturers haven't really approached him to uh, give them advice. And the other thing I keep thinking about this, how many really is out there? I mean, numbers would really kind of fix this, in my opinion. I'm in the heating and air conditioning business. You're not going to always make a product perfect every single time with furnaces they make thousands and thousands and thousands a year just for north america and their their warranty rates like 0.019% and it's just because that's actual failures from the factory and when you think about it if you're making even at 10,000 100 come back cuz they're bad that's not really that much. And so I don't know if this is like the whole, there was one bad batch and the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Cause they go on to, to Facebook and complain or they go on pin sign and complain. Um, I don't know how many of them actually have reached out to Stern. I know there was a gentleman that was on Facebook that was talking about his iron maiden and the, the clear chipped, and Stern sent him just a little vial of clear to stick over the spot, and then it got worse. But then when he started talking about it on Facebook, Stern, Stern reached out to him on Facebook and said, hey, contact us. We'll get this resolved for you. And I think that's really what it comes down to. If I have an issue, I just want the manufacturer to stand behind it. I get that. I get you get, you get one of two of the spectrums. You get Spooky, who have, I guess obviously gotten their clear process down to a T and they're not sharing that with anyone because they don't have issues with their clear coding process, but because of the quality control that they have behind their product, it takes a little longer for their product to get out versus Stern that, that gets other people to manufacture different parts of the machine. They stick it all together in a box and they ship it out. And so 
they can't guarantee that the clear coat process is perfect because when they get it, it looks great to them. They're like, this looks good. You know, you slap all the stuff on it, you slap it in a box and you ship it out. And so it's not till you're out in the main public, then these things start showing up. Same with JJP. But like, like I've said, Stern is saying that it's not a widespread issue. And Jersey Jack has said that he's not going to comment on it until he gets back to the States. I just, I don't know how big of a problem this is. I know Mr. and Mrs. Pidden said on head to head that they noticed the same problem with the Wonkas on theirs, but they would have never noticed it because it's so minuscule that they just didn't know. And so that's one of those things now they're like, well, crap, do we, do we throw a fit about this? Do we sit and watch? What do we do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it also seems that what 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 are you looking for? I mean, if you look at um, the playfields in the '90s, in the heyday of Valley Williams, they had issues too. And not necessarily playfields, but the manufacturing process—it wasn't perfect. Uh, the home market didn't exist, and so uh, all the arcade operators would have to tweak everything that they would get anyway. Um, I also think that it's uh, you know this is a, a sad reality in a lot of what we see in society nowadays that it's it's focusing on the negative and and really when when your lenses are finely tuned to that that's pretty much all you see you don't see all the amazing other stuff and and i'm not i'm not being dismissive of it because i understand it's frustrating uh if you buy a new car and there's a scrape on it or or paint flaking off or something then yeah it's going to bug you uh yeah but there is some level of, I guess, understanding that this is a boutique product and it doesn't matter even how big Stern has become. It's still a boutique company. They're the biggest boutique company, but you're going to have some issues because you don't have the volume of doing 30,000 you know, Toyota Corollas or something like that. Yeah. You, and they also have to figure, okay, wh- what is an appropriate response? If you had a scrape on your car, they're not going to send you a new car. I'm sorry. They're going to try to yeah, remedy exactly. the situation. And so uh, if there's if there's things, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not being dismissive of people who have felt that, oh, this is this stinks on my machine. I get it. I, I'm that way too. I'm, I'm pretty focused on making sure everything's fine. At, at some point you have to just accept that you're not going to get a perfect game. I agree. Moving on. I think that's as much as we want to cover until we get uh, Chris from HEP on or HEP. Um, I think he's going to give us a lot more insight and mm-hmm. we're planning that as our next episode is to have him on. Did you want to talk so, about Stern's new hats? Yes, I do. I think this is hilarious. So Stern put out that they've ran a new batch of hats and they happen to be the exact same hat and model of our hats, the new era 3930. And they look fantastic. They're different yeah, they colors. Look great. They're, yeah. They look great. And they're they're a solid hat. They're 30 bucks and people are complaining on social media that they're too expensive. Like, you're already mm. taking tons of our money. Why are these so expensive? Okay, first off, we wanted good quality hats for people to wear. We want our philosophy is if it's good quality and you enjoy wearing it, you're going to wear it more. And so we went with the higher end, this new era 3930, because it's a nice hat. It really is. And we're selling ours at 25 bucks. Stern's selling theirs at 30. We're not making hardly any money off these things because they're a really nice hat. And so 
it kind of baffles me when people are like, why are you charging so much for a hat? And if you've looked at the Stern one, they've actually done some more to their hats than what we've done. We've had ours embroidered and stuff and Stern's had theirs embroidered, but they've also had like a Stern tag put on the back that actually like clips around the hat and stuff like that. I guarantee they've put more money into their hats than we've put into ours. <laughs> yeah, They're not making any money on this. And yeah. let's be that this is them trying to market and say, we're not going to sell crappy hats. We're going to sell hats that people want to wear. And we're trying to get our name out there. I mean, that's what Stern's talking about, right? It's a lifestyle brand. They're trying to get their name on the street, but you can't do that with cheap hats that fall apart or cheap t-shirts that no one wears. So I, I, I understand what their price point is. Their price point is they're probably barely breaking even or maybe making two bucks on it. Yeah. So give, give them a break guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's it, all I can say. I will say it's an, it, it's a nice hat and I'm going to order some because I like wearing my loser kid hat because it's comfortable and I don't wear hats that aren't comfortable. And so if they bought the same thing we did, I, I'm all in. Well, I just think it's funny that they did buy it. I don't, we've had our hats for how many months now? Uh, we've had them probably out about yes, two six or three. Months. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So, hey, I guess that's man. probably right. But you yeah. know what? Hey, they're, it's smart. And actually the other Stern hat that I have is really comfortable too. So, you know what? Here's the thing. If you, if I would rather pay $5 more for a nice hat than to get a crappy one. So, yep. you know, Hey, you know, if, if you want to, yeah, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. It amazes me that people will, will talk about how expensive a hat is, but then they'll buy some, um, some matchbox car with led lights on it for 70 bucks on the mod, uh, on mod sites to put in their game. Yeah. I, that's that, that contributes very little. It's just, Hey, I just wanted this car with a, with lights in it. So just, Hey, you know, if you don't like the price, don't buy it. Well, and the rumor is that I'm making up right now as we talk is that Keith is always wearing our loser kid hat. Uh, Oh yeah. Let's not. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, I. And I so the guys hey, at Stern were like, "Hey, we need to make. A, hey, this is a such nice a quality hat. hat. We need to. We should make this same product." Yeah, and I'm so. sure. I'm sure that's it. Actually, I will say the <laughs> the the Stern hat that they made before our hats, I think, is extremely comfortable too. So, I I totally agree. Yeah. Anyway, but, just give them give them a break. It's if you want the hat, great. If you don't. But I'm not going to give him, uh, you know, how many times have you gone to a concert and bought a $40 concert t-shirts that the concert t-shirts are eight bucks? I, they're really, yeah. they're, they're crappy quality and they fall apart when you wash them. This hat's not going to fall apart. So go ahead and wear it with pride. Yep. So just a reminder, we do have hats. I just, I printed off another fresh batch. So, um, we, we've, They've been going out like hotcakes, man. I, and the other funny part too is is uh, Keith was just on Head to Head and he was talking with Keith. It was two episodes ago and he brought up the incident uh, with Katie Martin up in Brooklyn. We had sent her out a hat and the the, the, the it sucks because she got there. She's excited for a product, right? She grabs the box. It's already open and the hat was stolen. And they left the loser kid box on the front porch. And it's yeah. like, I'm not going to lie, guys. We've only sent one hat to Brooklyn. We've sent two now because we sent, we felt bad. We were just like, you know what? We'll send you another one. And so we sent another one to Katie. But 
if you see someone floating around New York, Brooklyn area that isn't Katie, you know it's it's supposed to be her hat. So you should at least get a picture of them and say, hey. <laughs> it's a small, so it'll be a small kid. By the way, I think it's Kate. Um, and she is the leader of the uh, Bells and Chimes in the New York area. So give her a shout out when you see her. Speaking of head-to-head, let's talk about our Slam in the Top 100 that we did when we had Martin on. Okay. Did you, did you keep up with the poll? You know, I didn't. I, I got so busy. I just, uh, I, I disappeared from social media for about a couple of weeks. So, sure. Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, to remind the people at home, we did Twilight Zone versus Time Machine of all games. And you take a guess, Scott. Take Okay. How many votes do you think we got on this bad boy? 10. Close. We got 12. So <laughs> I, was, I was impressed there. Was one but, of them I mean, mine? <laughs> I guess. I guess technically ten, because one was mine, one was yours. There you go. Because you can't follow. You can't follow the votes or anything unless if you vote. And so I'm like, well, yeah. I want. I wanted to keep it pure, but we couldn't without tracking it. So. And you voted for Anywho. time machine. Uh no, I did not. I voted for tw- dude. I've. I'm voting Twilight Zone no matter what. <laughs> so, uh, Twilight Zone one. 58% to 42%. It, I, um, I'd say that's a solid close vote. It really is. And I did put as part of our segment, you got to vote who had the better argument. And I even gave you the cat driving a Ferrari because yeah. of the car. And it probably was the cat gif that really helped you out. I think so. <laughs> I, I, I will take a, a cat driving a Ferrari anytime. But no one commented. I, I don't think... I think it, I don't know. <laughs> it yeah. just, it, it made me chuckle. Yeah, no, it, it was, it was awesome. I, I will say time machine is an interesting game, but yeah, you're not going to compete with twilight zone. So yeah, twilight zones, a, a beast all within itself. Yeah. So, and then speaking also of that episode that we had Martin on, we got uh, some feedback. We got uh, an email. I'm sorry if I slaughter your name, Robbie, R-A-B-I-H. Anywho, so we were talking about making pinball more accessible for the general public. We were kind of saying that pinball is kind of hard on a three ball. If you don't fully understand the game, you lose three balls in like 30 seconds and you're like, well, why the crap am I even playing this? And so we talked about, you know, different like time modes and stuff like that. Well, this gentleman reached out to us and he said, hey, guys, thanks for putting out these episodes and I'm enjoying the interviews. Really love them. I heard you on the last episode with Martin discussing the DMB foray into pinball with P3. So the DMB is Dave and Buster's because they just put the P3 out in the Austin, Texas location. So I wanted you to let you know here in Chicago, they are experimenting with pinball on location at similar venues uh, where they modify the games to make them five ball, no replays and five minute time plays. Personally, I'm opposed to both modifications as it takes away from the authenticity of the pinball experience where where it's a do or die situation and it's up to your skills if you can continue to progress. But I understand this is an option for novice slash beginners, especially when juxtaposed with arcades and thrill rides that all run on time plays essentially. A suggestion would be include a choice in the very beginning as you as you guys mentioned, it is very clear to the player. Hit left flipper button, easy mode, timed, or right flipper button, hard mode, three balls. Either way, it's tough to find the sweet spot for a venue. I know operators are keenly aware of the pros and cons. 
My dream venue would be a laid-back coffee shop with a pinball room adjacent that's open all day for all ages. Maybe turn, turns into bars after 9 p.m. Sincerely, Rabia. Rabia. They even pronounced it there at the end. I didn't realize that. But it sounds like they're already experimenting with this stuff, at least up in Chicago. Yeah. I, and and so, I, I will say that when I first started getting into pinball, I heard there was a Wizard of Oz on. And it did have that option where, hey, you can play for just a um, – uh, you can play for a time. And I thought that was really interesting since I didn't know anything about Wizard of Oz. I thought that would be an interesting uh, option. So certainly, uh, if you're going to put some money in a machine and you're guaranteed five minutes, then yeah, I, I think that that's something to consider. Um, I think there certainly needs to be a way of rewarding the the players as soon as you get better um, with, I, I don't know, higher scores, bells and whistles, I'm not really sure. But yeah, uh, yeah you have to look at uh, ways that the market is changing. And it, it, the market is, has changed. I mean, arcades are gone. They're kitty gambling sh- uh, ticket redemption areas now. So whatever you can do to try to wrestle that away from the uh, the ticket munchers, I think that's uh, you have to look at it. I agree. It, it kind of sounds like uh, um, they're describing ketos, really, <laughs> except for the the except for the all ages access. But it's basically like a hipster coffee shop. Uh, slash bar that has board games and everything. It's pretty. The only downside is uh, you can't hear the games because they haven't turned down nothing. So yep. We'll come out, come out to Utah. We'll show you Kitos. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it really is really laid back. Like I don't get me. I'm not a huge bar fan. I'm really not. Mm-hmm. But Kitos, you don't feel like you're walking into a bar. It just you walk in there, you play some pinball. It's I like think a that's Starbucks. Why it's so it feels like a Starbucks that serves yeah. alcohol too. Yeah. So, yeah. but no, I, I agree. I think, I think that, uh, there does need to be some more accessibility and there's one more, there's one more topic I wanted to hit. I forgot I was going to, I forgot to tell you this before in our show notes, we, we talked about this a couple episodes back, but it was video game themes inside of pinball. And if we should start exploring those again, um, I got looking at, cause I went to nickel mania in Springville and they've got a Gottlieb, Super Mario Brothers, the, the little kitty one that, that's yeah. a redemption machine. It's horrible. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't too bad. It's very, very repetitive. It's hit the magic yeah. flute up the middle and then hit the left ramp and it starts a video mode, which kind of makes sense because it's Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. And then it has a bunch of different video modes, but you're trying to get through the, the worlds. Um, I didn't think it was too bad, but it got me thinking because everyone complains like Gottlieb's not that great. Yeah. Um, they have some good games. But I went and looked. There's only one game above Super Mario Brothers, both Super Mario Brothers, that is worth more than the Super Mario Brothers games. And it's the Chicago Gump Cubs baseball game. Oh. And it made the same amount or less in machines. And so I'm like, that's 20 years later or 30 years later that yeah. it's still running strong on these Super Mario Brothers games. They're still... The only ones that's covered. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that the best example of how to do a um, a video game feel with a game would be Jurassic Park, because the way they've done Jurassic yep. Park, it feels very much like you are immersed in the Jurassic world, but you're not following along with the 
just you're not having to retread the storyline. Um, the the challenge is being able to integrate a similar theme with um, you know Metroid or a new Super Mario or or, or what have you. Um, I would love to have a um, any Nintendo based uh, product um, theme as a pinball machine as long as you can integrate it well I think it'd be a blast the challenge is it always feels a little derivative when you're playing it it's the okay well this isn't really Super Mario Brothers it just feels like um, you're playing uh, with different uh, decals on it so I, I haven't felt one where it gives you the same sort of excitement that uh, playing the video game does. Um, it's a little different when you have a movie or a music pin that actually does a, a similar thing and it gives you that buzz. But the video game, it's I've never found one that feels successfully crossed over into pinball. But um, I'm I would be really curious to see if Nintendo started licensing uh, more pro uh, properties out for pinball machines because I think it would be a big seller. Well, and honestly, even looking at how pinball machines are being built nowadays, like you said, Jurassic Park, it's almost got that video game feel because of the gameplay. Black Knight, I got the same thing because you're you're trying to get to the bosses and then you're trying to or you're trying to defeat the creatures or whatever it may be so you mm -hmm. can get to the Black Knight. I think we're starting to shift more and more and more towards almost a video game feel for a pinball machine as far as rule sets and codes go because that's where you get a lot of depth. Yeah. And so, and you also get a lot of non-linear gameplay that way too. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where the hobby goes. Yeah. But so. hey, I'm all for, uh, if, if Nintendo's uh, willing to start licensing it again, I think that um, you know, I think Stern would do, do a great job with it. I really do. I agree. And even JJ and JJP would be great too. And maybe that be, would be more up their alley because they tend, they tend to be more of that, you know, that Wonka, that family friendly type thing. But I think either of them would be my number one and two, and you, you could pick either one of them. I think they'd both do a bang up job. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast right now, if you've made it this far, will you do me a favor? Will you guys reach out to Scott and tell him happy birthday? He had his birthday on Thursday. And the guy did not party hardy like he should have. So <laughs> No, but I did go to Top Golf. That was fun. That is but fun. But my wife stayed home. My wife stayed home with a sick kid, so I took my uh I took one of uh one of my partners from work. So anyway, it's good times. Dude, Top Golf's so good. Like I don't know if you people out there in the pinball podcasting world that listen to us have ever done or even know what top golf is um it's essentially a driving range but the balls that you hit are microchipped and then there's targets in the ground and you score points off those but they bring you food you can order food while you're playing and so it's fantastic but yeah you know, thinking of that i don't know why they can't just microchip all balls and so you don't have to go looking for your ball for all the crappy golfers out there just go onto any golf course and you just have a range finder that just beeps when you get close to your ball <laughs> i agree well and the golf carts already have gps and they show the screen of how far you are from the pin it can't be that much harder just to do some microchip balls and no. but that, i guess that's the difference between us beginners and the professionals because the professionals are going to be wanting to hit the the Callaway or whatever it may be. Yeah. They want that very specific ball. 
Yeah. So. No, it's uh, well. I, I'm uh, I'm going to be on the uh, the timed ball equivalent of golf for probably my entire life because I will never be competing <laughs> on that. I was listening to a comedian and he's he said, you know, we're on the first hole, and I I hit the ball and I look around to the other guys because I don't play golf and I said, is that a good place to be? And one of the guys says, well, that's a good place if you need to take a crap. And he said, well, it's good because I did and I didn't play the next 17 holes with socks on. So <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I can I can relate. <laughs> yeah, we'll wrap it up. And uh, sounds like we'll uh, we'll try to get uh, we if you guys have uh, ideas for interviews, too. We we tried to mix it up a little bit to have interviews and uh, discussions. But if there are people that you would uh, be interested in us reaching out to, uh, let us know. We'll see if we can get them on the show, or if there's any topics that you'd prefer that we discuss, go ahead and let us know, and uh, we'll try to get our takes on it. Well, and really quickly, what shocked me was is um, with the Josh Sharp interview that we just did, Yeah, I was actually talking to Zach, and we were just talking about different stuff, and Zach's like, you know who would really like to be on your show? And I'm like, who? And he's like, my brother Josh. I was like, what, really? And he's like, yeah, Josh listens to you so, and he loves it, dude. I was like, Really? And so I was kind of shocked. Like, I'm like, you're pulling my chain. Like, okay. Okay. Josh, Josh is, Josh is, uh, infectious. His, uh, his charisma for pinball is really contagious. And I, he probably listens to podcasts nonstop. Um, he, yeah, when you talk to him, you're like, yeah, why isn't pinball everywhere? Just because you can feel his excitement for it. So uh, certainly the right guy to do the IFPA. And so it was a lot of fun to have him on and certainly we'll, we'll have him on anytime. So, yep. Well, and that's the thing too. I was like, dude, I wish we could have had, could have had hours. He was at work and he was, he was messaging us. And he's like, by the way, if I just randomly stopped talking, yeah. it might be because the boss came in and I had yeah. to switch the screen. <laughs> <laughs> click, click, click. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wish you guys could be with us behind the scenes sometimes because there's some great stuff. There's some stuff that we just we can't share, and then there's stuff that's just just like that. It's like it makes you chuckle. Yeah. If Josh's boss is listening, uh, he was not being was interviewed not, was, by us he, right there. He was at home and taking care of three kids while he was podcasting with us. That's exactly what exactly. Happened. He would never do it on work time. No. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're gonna get a text. I can feel it already. <laughs> but well cool awesome always talk to you scott all right well we'll catch you guys later later